This episode of the Behind the Shield podcast is brought to you by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade, and they are offering you a 15% discount on every order. And I will tell you that code in just a moment, but I want to do another product highlight. And I can testify, as with the other ones, through personal experience. I wore a 5.11 uniform way back when I worked for Anaheim Fire in California, so we're talking 13 years ago, and I know for a fact that some of my brothers and sisters I work with still wear some of the clothes that they were given when I was hired there, so some of the job shirts, jackets, and this really kind of resonated with me because I realized so many of the departments I've worked at, there are men and women with lockers crammed with old, worn, frayed uniform. And that really represents wasted budget. So to have uniforms with durability means that you don't have to purchase them as often. Now you can apply that budget elsewhere. Another area they've really focused on is redesigning their women's first responder uniforms. I am a skinny six foot tall man and some of these uniforms I'm issued literally hang off me like a trash bag. And I can imagine it's even worse being a female first responder. So they have really taken that into account and redesigned the cuts so they're far more flattering to the female firefighter, first responder, medic, etc. On top of that, several departments I work for have gone from job shirts to polo shirts. 5.11 has those. And then to underline a product I've already talked about, they have the footwear. I wore the CST slip-on boot for a long time from 5.11. And now the Norris sneaker that you've heard me talk about is a lightweight duty boot that puts far less pressure on the ankles and knees, the back, etc. So as I mentioned before, they are offering you guys a continuous 15% discount. And all you have to do is use the code SHIELD at checkout at 511tactical.com. So once again, code SHIELD at 511tactical.com. Welcome to episode 302 of Behind the Shield Podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am so excited to welcome back for the third time Green Beret and MMA fighter Tim Kennedy. So for those of you who haven't heard the first two interviews, it's episode 3 and episode 114. 3 obviously illustrates the fact that he was willing to come on the show from a brand new podcast from a firefighter, so I hugely appreciate that. And then episode 114 was after I did his sheepdog response class with him. So this is definitely a man whose opinion I value highly. He definitely walks the walk. He is a veteran firefighter turned police officer turned special forces soldier. So really has served his country for a number of years. So this is not coming from some empty soapbox side at all. The area we really wanted to discuss was the middle ground that is not in much conversation that we're seeing at the moment. So we get the fear rammed down our throats at the moment of this coronavirus. We're hearing the conspiracy theories, the other side, the opposition, which is also ridiculousness in my opinion. But the middle ground is how can we create a more resilient healthier, happier population. And this is what this is about. We touch on some areas where certain individuals are definitely stepping on some civil liberties. And then we talk about the takeaways. How can we support local farming? How can we create an environment for our first responders to thrive so that when they're on the front line, they're not more vulnerable to a virus like this and a host of other topics. So before we get to that interview, like I say, every single episode, please, when this is done, take a moment and go to whichever app you listen to this on and subscribe to the show. Leave feedback. I do really love reading the feedback and leave a rating. The five star ratings truly do make us more visible to people looking for a podcast like this. And for example, Tim's episode this week 
is absolutely imperative to be heard by everyone, I think, on planet Earth. So then take whichever outlet you have to share. This is a free library. All I ask is that you, the audience, that are enjoying it yourself, then pay it forward and share it to other people. So with that being said, I introduce to you Tim Kennedy. Enjoy. Tim, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time for the third time. Uh, come back on the Behind the Shield podcast. My pleasure. Big fan. You guys are you are the best, and I really appreciate the message you get out. Well, thank you. So um, without being too specific, where are we finding you on planet Earth today? I, I'm, in, I'm in beautiful Texas. I'm uh, living free in uh, the Republic of Texas. Beautiful. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll just open up with the question. So what are some of the the positives that you're seeing from this isolation we'll start with that uh, my, my the, one of the positives for me is that not a lot about my life has changed um i obviously run sheepdog response i'm a green beret so there's a lot of things that are that are kind of normal and just part inherently part of my life that makes a, you know something like this happening not a big deal um, I can't go and train jujitsu and I can't go train kickboxing, uh, with partners right now. Um, and that's probably the biggest impact that my life has had. Um, inversely, like I still go to the range. I still shoot. I still dry fire. My pets are, my pets are happier that I'm home. I'm getting more time with my family. I've gotten so many projects done at the house. I work from home. Um, and, and I travel a lot. So it's cool that I'm not traveling as much and I'm home. Um, which means I'm getting more work done and the type of work that I normally don't like doing. Um, be, and that's one of the reasons why I travel. T- two things I really like about this are, I think people have realized that there were people in their life that they don't need. And so they identify and realize that there are people that they legitimately miss and they know who matters. Um, and in these kind of scary times, uh, you know, people always stop, always look for real experts and they're always looking for truth sayers, but there's so many charlatans out there. Um, but people that think that they're experts in, in, you know, emergency pandemics, uh, but, but they're not, they're just, they've been fakes and now they've been exposed. Um, so another positive is that like, I, I think people are truly seeking experts about how to, to, seriously prepare for bad things um and uh you know i got to finish a couple extra books so that's cool <laughs> i think most people finish a couple extra books um so i saw one of the things you you were doing on instagram was obviously the chicken coop so um what i'm seeing as well is that people are realizing that there are other places to get food than the mega grocery stores that we all shop at so what are some of the things you're seeing locally there are you seeing more kind of local farms and that kind of thing being used again oh yeah man so i mean i live on on in on land and in kind of like i'm I'm on the outskirts of of austin texas so it, it is it's you know like we had space and deer feeders in the back of the property. Um, you know, so we're in a very sustainable type 
house and as are all of my neighbors. Um, the cool thing is going to um, like tractor supply and seeing somebody roll up in a Honda Civic or a Toyota Prius. And I've no, I know they've never been, been to a tractor supply before, right? They're like, they don't know where to park. They don't know where to go. They don't know how it's organized. They're not even sure if people in tractor supply speak the same language. Um, but they're going in and they're like, excuse me, um, I'm building a raised um, vegetable garden. What soil do I need and what do I plant? Um, and that warms my heart. Uh, seeing somebody that's that's going into a realm that they're that they're that they don't know and and they're they're looking far enough forward in the future. Um, maybe they'll never need that food, you know, because that food's not gonna be ready for, for months from now. Um, but they're preparing. And that's that's a beautiful thing that I think it's it's a lot of divisiveness that has been happening over the past few years some of those walls have been torn down and uh we're we're realizing that we're all kind of the same species and and we all just want to live yeah well even with the environment i've noticed you know there was a lot of ridiculing of greta was it humberg you know which i i think it's hard to to not admire a, a small child from scandinavia that's able to get the attention that she got is she fixing everything herself no of course not but but i think that even the the environmental environmental impact that we're seeing by us all not being on the roads um is another beautiful thing and like you said some people i think hopefully are going to see the efficiency of working from home you don't need to drive to a freaking cubicle to do exactly the same damn thing you could do from your pc at home yeah it's um i i have I mean, I don't want to throw people under the bus. Uh, my wife, my wife worked in in tech and finance and economics, and you know, she has never had a job where she needed to go into work for. Everything that she has done, she could have always done remotely. But the, you know, there were there were periods of times, and you know, different different bosses and executives that were requiring people to come in. And now I'm like, I hope all of those people feel like idiots because it's never been necessary. Um, it's it's not helpful for productivity. Um, it's, I mean, yes, you have to run things differently and do, th do things differently and, and have different ways to manage people's, uh, um, productivity, but it's, it's, it's so, um, apparent now where people have been stuck in these archaic systems, uh, that I think now the mold has been broken. Right. Well, speaking of archaic systems, let's talk about the isolation. <laughs> so I'll give you my perspective first, and I'd love to hear yours. So as a medical professional, when I say that, obviously on the street, paramedic and the firefighter for 14 years, um, what I witnessed was the numbers that we were seeing overseas before they got here did not appear to be the zombie apocalypse style numbers that, you know, uh, surpassed obesity and all these things that I knew no one was giving a shit about that were killing all our people. Um, and, but then the, the whole curve thing made perfect sense. Now, for me, it was more because we were overwhelming systems that weren't prepared, especially in places like the UK where they've cut the NHS over and over and over again. So those poor men and women were left to work, you know, with very little means. Um, but the, the slowing of the curve, the isolation, the shutting down of theme parks, the shut, the stopping of, of cruise ships, large spaces where a lot of people internationally are gathering. I totally understand. I totally get it. But this point where some people are literally being arrested if they leave their house, 
to me, appears so much so far the other way, especially when you look in a local area like a school where that community is all they live together anyway. So if the virus is there, the virus is there. That's my take. What is your perspective of of this level of isolation and then the the knock on effects of that outside just the virus itself? So it's it's been a very fluid situation and conversation where I, I think that there have been hardliners that are you know if you are not following these isolation protocols, you are deliberately intentionally trying to kill these outlier, more vulnerable segments of society. It's idiotic. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, and and the, the fact that they have been willing to give up every imaginable freedom protected here in the United States by our Bill of Rights um, has baffled me to an extent that I'm, I still haven't been able to wrap my head around people wanting safety and security now and giving up all of their future freedoms for 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 something that they don't even understand. So in, in trying to flatten the curve where the social distancing and, and you know quarantine and self-isolation kind of came from, you know, it was wanting to not overwhelm the hospital system. Like that was the intent. And that was coming from you know places when it was coming from China, all the information that we were getting was wrong. Right? We everything that came from China uh, to include the virus has been inaccurate in all reporting that came out of out of China. Um, so by by the time it got to the war to Europe, the we were very fearful of of what the impact was going to have because of what happened in Italy, for example. Um, Italy, you know, not enough hospitals. Um, the vast majority of the population there smokes. Um, they were obese, and those were people that are more susceptible for complicated um, conditions from COVID. And so we create we created these models off of. I mean, whoever created these models, I want to go like stab in the neck because <laughs> they did trillions upon trillions of dollars of damage to the economy. And not when I say economy, people think that we're talking about money versus lives, which is not the case. We're talking about lives versus lives. Every time that you have a 1%, a 1% increase in unemployment, you're going to have an increase in suicide in that same population by 12%. Like, like wrap, wrap your hand, hand around that. I mean, that that's um, chronic illness goes up 12%. Um, and that's for every single point, every single percentage point. We went from an unemployment of 3% at the beginning of this to currently around like like right now they're guessing somewhere around fifteen percent um, that that'll like go down I think pretty rapidly as soon as businesses start opening so this isn't you know where the Great Depression was around that same number um, we're we're not looking at the Great Depression because we we have a very strong economy that is going to bounce back quickly from this but so when I say lives versus lives. People are going to lose homes. They're going to be evicted. Uh, drug use is going to go up. Criminal activity is going to go up. Like, do you think that somebody is going to do better on the street, and their family is going to do better on the street being homeless than they would have had they even just got co corona? No, they would have been fine. Like, they they would have had like a little bit of a cold and they would have been recovered, and it, it would have been over in a heartbeat. Um, but instead, it's this massive damage to the economy and ultimately will cost lives out of fear and panic and, and giving away freedoms out of fear and panic is the dumbest. I, I mean, I can't, 
that vexes me to no end. Um, you know, like the, the number of freedoms that people have wholeheartedly eyes wide open been like, Oh yeah, we don't need freedom of speech. We don't need freedom of assembly. We don't need to be able to practice our religion. We don't need a firearm. No, we don't need access to these public lands, public lands, like the public owns these lands. But no, we don't need access to them. No, we can't go on the ocean. I can't go paddleboarding or I'll get arrested. I can't go for a run on the beach or I'll get arrested. I can't go see my family member in a dis- different household or I'll get arrested. I can't move from one of my homes to a different home without getting arrested. Michigan, I can't go and buy seeds without breaking the law. I can't go and buy paint to do a home project without breaking the law. Um, I, I love – some questions that are being asked, like where does the authority for a governor, for example, to say you can't go to church? The Supreme Court has clearly set precedence about what the Bill of Rights means and how it's supposed to be interpreted. And, the, and it has, has without a doubt made it unquestionably the case where you can assemble and you can practice your religion with other people of that religion. So a, a question that I would love to have answered that nobody has been able able to answer is where did the authority go and how did the authority get to these governors where they can say you can't go to church or you can't go and buy seeds or you can't go out onto the street. Um, They don't have that authority. They have never had that authority. That authority lies with the individual. Um, Thank you to our constitution. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the next. I don't know, I'm I'm going to guess like eight to ten months of Supreme Court deliberation because they are going to hammer some of these people. Yeah. Well, you touched on the mental health and you touched on public spaces, and that's a that's a very important point. I think that a lot of people miss with this is I've talked about this a few times. I'm so I'm sitting here kind of the same as you. I'm in my home, you know, I've got family in the home, I've got my dog in the home. I'm very fortunate, you know, financially we're still okay. My wife's able, she's, you know, she's an optician, so she's able to go to work. Um, and then I work from home anyway. So we're very fortunate, but there are people out there that are living in one bedroom apartments that have lost their job, that are on their own. Like you said, some states have been told you cannot go anywhere. So all the positive coping mechanisms, all the positive outlets that they had, their jujitsu space, their CrossFit gym, their church, you know, the beach, whatever it was, have all been taken as well. So not only have you got the, the financial element that's going to attribute to poor mental health, you're taking away every single thing pretty much that a lot of these people did to feel better, to better themselves. And you're taking that away as well. So you've got this double whammy. Yeah. Um, morale is, you know, you, you go back to Patton, you know, to the Romans, um, to the Samurai, to the, to the Greeks, the Spartans. Um, morale and like esprit de corps is, is one of the cornerstones of how and why they're so successful. Um, and when you take a population and you're like, okay, not only are we going to remove your source of income because we're shutting down the economy via economic uh, panic. And so hopefully we're also going to tell your landlord that he can't kick you out yet, but you're still going to owe him all of that money. Oh, also landlord, hope that you're okay to float all those mortgage bills um, and the bank's not going to come for you because we're not going to talk to them. That's your problem. Um, so they're really just like kicking the soccer ball down the road, hoping that it doesn't roll over an ID. 
but it, it will. Um, so they're, they're fearful. They're scared. Um, and now all of the things, all the coping ne- mechanisms that a normal person needs in, to, to like function have been removed from them. Like they're not getting good sleep because they're not exercising. Um, they're not outside. They're not in the sun. Um, they're not getting their normal healthy nutrition. Um, they're watching a ton of Netflix and, and co- like Netflix and quarantine has been a hashtag that has been trending for three weeks. That's insanity. You know, like I have turned on the TV, I think three or four times in the past month and everything else. And th- those were for like a couple of times to relax, but otherwise it has been, I think the other two times were for work, like to watch. Um, I think I like watched a live stream and, um, so anyway, so these coping mechanisms are, are things that an individual needs to be able to deal with what's happening. And all of those have been taken away. So not only w- w- was I dropping those, and there are tons of studies what happens to a population, the economic impact, ne- the negative, like the second and third order effects of what happens economically. Uh, but now we're also taking away all of the social and cultural support that would normally exist within those. So really those numbers aren't accurate because they're way worse. Suicide will be higher. You know, the dependence on, on serious drugs will be higher. Um, alcoholism will be higher because the coping mechanisms will not be in place to deal with these economic hard times. Yeah. And another thing that I've observed, um, and, you know, I know you've seen the video too of the, the stand up paddleboarder in, in California, as funny as it was watching him <laughs> totally ignore everyone around him. But you have these states making these rules saying we're going to arrest for whatever reason. And the, the men and women in law enforcement who I think were finally getting given a bit of a break in the media and, you know, being appreciated for what they were doing out there are now basically being turned back into the bad guy again because those poor people have to enforce these ridiculous fucking laws that some of these people are coming up with. Yeah. Um, we, we have an, an ordinance in the city of Austin that you're, you have to wear your face mask in Travis County. Um, and it's citable. Like uh, a police officer can cite you. And and a, th- a thing that's blowing my mind is I have obviously we train a ton of law enforcement. I have a bunch of employees that are that moonlight as law enforcement or vice versa. And um, I- I'm, community members are ratting on other community members for not wearing face masks. Uh, well, one, that law doesn't apply. Like it doesn't. You, you unless you supply people with that thing, you can't tell them to wear that thing. Um, you know, like I, man, where, where did I see this? Oh, that's right. The Nazis told people to wear gold stars on their chest, right? And then they told them to wear armbands. And then they took all of those people and told them to live in the same area. And then they took that same area and built a fence around it. And then all the people with the armbands and the gold stars on their chest living in this fenced in area were only allowed to leave at very specific times. And then they went in and killed all of them. Yes, these are big jumps, but it always happens gradually. It's not like overnight Nazi went and gassed a whole bunch of Jews. It took him five years of slowly moving down the road of eroding these people's this this one marginalized group, their freedoms bit by bit by bit. And I know these are examples that people use all the time. Um, you know, you, you you look at Stalin, a famous, beautiful, brilliant quote by Stalin said, "He grabs a chicken. True story. 
he tears every single feather out of a chicken in front of his generals. This chicken is sitting there bleeding in agonizing pain. As, as, it was alive as he pulled and stripped handfuls of, of feathers out of the back of this chicken. And it's quivering and it's shaking in pain. And Stalin goes and takes little bits of breadcrumb and throws it down on the ground. And the chicken starts following him around. And he tells his generals, he's like, all you have to do, you can hurt people so much. And you can take everything that they have and need to live away from them. And if you just give them a little bit of, of um, sustainment, they'll follow you into whatever. I could watch. I could walk this chicken to the furnace, and like that's Stalin, not Hitler. Just another asshole, right? Like we can go to Mao, and we can go um, to Che Guevara, and we can like, we could go down the list of all of the people that have that have used this playbook of how to erode a group, a culture, a population's freedom, um, and, and and like and at some point we just have to put our foot down. Like it is idiotic that police are having to run down the beach and that they're bringing in coast guard boats and sheriff boats to try to stop a paddleboarder from paddleboarding on the Pacific Uh, here in Austin on his own (laughs) here in Austin. Um, the police chief told the city council, he's like, my debt, my, my police officer will not enforce this. We do not have the time for it. Nor will we do it, nor is it worth our health to, to do that. Um, so, you know, hats off to him, but it doesn't need to be the police chief. It's not his business to do that. That's, the voters job like if you don't want to see the council members that are going to do that every one of those pricks better be removed from office the very next time that they're eligible for re-election and the governor of michigan like if you did not just have a wake-up call about what she thinks about you she said in her words it's snowing right now it's not like you would want those freedoms anyhow think about that you can't go and buy seeds right now. And she says, uh, that's my choice. You can't go buy stuff to make a garden. And you don't even want – you wouldn't even want those freedoms right now anyways because it's cold outside. Insane. Absolutely insane. So with with that, we're seeing – let's be honest. We're seeing some freaking horrendous lack of leadership you know in in not just our country but but different countries around the world and some countries that are doing incredibly well so what what do you think were some of the things that we should do now we're we're where we are now we're on april 16th you know how can we turn this around and 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 minimize the effects i think we should set out guidelines about what kind of community interaction should look like. Yes, it should be different moving forward to keep that the curve that we have flattened flattened. And um, our hospital systems in 99% of the country are fully functional. Get it. New York, you're getting hammered. Like my hat is off to you. Keep keep being diligent, you know, keep working. Um, it will get better and it's going to get better fast. Uh, but it won't get better fast if people go immediately back to status quo as was six months ago. Um, you know, like I think food is going to be handled a little bit differently. I think, uh, you know, going to the workplace is going to be a little bit different. I think how we, like, I'm still going to shake hands. I'm still going to hug people. Um, am I going to wash my hands more often? Absolutely. Do I make my kids wash their hands even when they're just coming in? You know, like, of course. So like things are going to change, but 
I tell you what we need to do is we need to get back to life. We need to get back to working. We need to get people back to work so they can put food on the table and they can pay for their, for their rent and their mortgage and their car payments. Um, and that needs to happen like today. Um, so with good, clear guidelines, with good leadership that's being led by example. So not, not do as I say, not as I do. Um, but like, Hey, do as I say, and look, I'm also going to do so good leadership, um, with these very clear guidelines that is universally being followed. And then, uh, we, we go and we, we kick, start this economy again. Like we, people have paychecks or not paychecks. We have stimulus checks come in the mailbox. They're going to use that money for food and mortgages. And, um, that means we need to get them back in the office so they can pay for next month. Absolutely. Now, the other side of this that I had a great conversation with Julian Pinot this morning, who's the, the founder of StrongFit, uh, amazing, amazing movement coach, um, is I've hardly seen any conversation at all about the health of the nation and then why that's making us so vulnerable. So, you know, what you're doing, obviously, with Sheepdog Response and all the stuff that you do physically and, you know, the, the fighting and the, the military work. You know, you've talked about health and fitness and, and you know, um, resilience for a long, long time. And it's something that I see people like Stan Efferding and um, Mark Bell and, and others posting what you posted, which was the underlying risk factors that made this virus so dangerous. Of course, if you're in chemo, it's terrifying. Of course, if you're 90 years old, it's terrifying. And, you know, the, the, the age one, we can't change. Your, your aging is going to get you at some point. But all these other things are things that we can change with diet and exercise and, and lifestyles and how we feed our children in schools and how we even farm our food. So what is it that, that you're, you know, what's your perspective on not the virus, forget the freaking virus, but the, the health of the people in the West? Uh, a, a wake up call, right? The United States is getting fatter and fatter every single year all the way back to post-World War II. Um, obesity is the highest now that has ever been. Uh, I, and for the past 10 years, we have in this outrage culture, if you called out somebody for being fat, you're fat shaming. And like, no, no, that person is still beautiful. No, you're not. You're unhealthy and your health is going to cost us and our community. Like if we're talking about a, cl- a collective, if we're talking about like, you know, kind of the socialist, communist, um, herd culture. That means that you have to be able to hold people accountable. So no, you, you have to stop vaping. You have to stop smoking. You can't go and eat a big bag of potato, potato chips and go buy some fast food and then whine and complain about how vulnerable you are to a new virus coming in. Your vulnerability is 100% your own fault. Those were all of your own choices that made you vulnerable to this corona. Um, if I, people joke all the time, like, um, like if Corona came to Tim, it would die with Tim. Uh, we, we, we laugh, but it's also true. It's true because I'm healthy and I eat healthy and like I get my own eggs and I eat hunted meat and I exercise one or two times every single day. Um, and I'm not an, an exception. There's, I know tens of thousands of people where if they got Corona, like they probably wouldn't even know that they had it. It would not. It would be so much of a non-issue because of their state of health. So, our overall state has been disgusting and embarrassing. And I, I've actually talked about it on numerous occasions to include the Joe Rogan podcast. The Special Forces are recruiting has been hammered, like the Navy SEALs, Ranger Regiment, uh, because we cannot find eligible candidates that can pass a heightened weight requirement. 
They, i.e., they are so obese and so stupid that they can't even qualify to go into the military. So then our population to select from is so few that we don't have enough recruits going into special forces to select from. And, and that is just a projection of the larger issue within our nation and um, the West in general is we need to get our act together. Yeah. And you and I have had this conversation too. Like there was this big uh, uh, increase in people buying guns. And again, the gun isn't going to help you with a virus, but fitness and nutrition is absolutely going to help you with a virus. And owning a gun isn't going to make you an efficient, you know, um, combatant, but the, the, the stuff that you guys teach, you know, the skills with it and the fitness and the unarmed combat and all that, that is going to make you able to defend your family better. But that's what I'm seeing as well. You know, there's a virus coming, so I'll just buy hand sanitizer and a mask. Or, you know, I'm going to buy a gun for home invaders. And that's, that's a facade. That's a, that's a, that's a toy. That's nothing if you don't know how to use it. And the same with, with the fitness and, and the health is, you know, to be able to protect your family, be able to protect your country. What if we have invaders? Like I talk about this. If, if you, if you sent someone from a foreign country that was looking to invade ours and you sent them to a Walmart, and I mean no disrespect by this. This just is what it is. You're not going to strike the fear in the hearts of most enemies. You know, so that's, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at your own selfish thing with a virus or protecting your family or even, you know, protecting your nation that you have responsibility to everyone to own your own health. I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I love when the Japanese were talking, you know, when they're heading towards Midway after Pearl Harbor and, um, the Japanese emperor, you know, famously quoted with talking about he's awakened a sleeping giant and um and talking to a bunch of the admirals and generals within the japanese military their navy and their army they discussed what it would look like to invade the united states and um you know they unanimously agreed that it was an impossibility that there was no way because of the level of how we are armed they're just it's a, you can't do it there's more there's more guns in the United States privately owned than the entire world combined. So like the, the, the thought that somebody could come in here and, and, and think that they could invade is impossible, but that's like, that's so crazy. I would love, um, what was that movie with Patrick Swayze? Uh, like the Wolverines never die. Is it red um, dawn? Yeah. Red dawn. That, that'd be awesome. Right? Like <laughs> fascists or communists or like parachuting in from airplanes. Um, but you know, like, that's, that's not the reason the second amendment was there. Second amendment when it was there was so the individual um, and the collective combined population is always going to be stronger than the government. And I, I get people say this argument every single time. They're like, oh, yeah, you think you're a little, you're a little M4, your assault rifle, and it's not an assault rifle, it's just called an AR, is, um, is going to do, do well against like a tank. I was like, yeah, yeah, man. Um, so I fought in this place called Afghanistan for the past 17, 16 years. We've been there for like 18 years. And um, sitting right next to me, James, I wish you could see it. I have a muzzle-loaded eight, late 1800 musket that I took off a Taliban fighter. And he, he shot that at, at us. Um, we, we, I'm not saying that we lost the war in Afghanistan, but we definitely didn't win the war in Afghanistan. And, um, we are the strongest superpower military that has ever existed on this planet in the, 
in recorded history, and we couldn't beat peasants fighting in the hills with muskets. So yeah, the individual with a firearm is a scary, powerful thing. That's why the government and certain segments of the government, they don't want you to have it. But I, I promise you, having fought people that just have a rifle against all the power. I'm talking, I have F-16s on my fingertips. I can pick up a radio and drop a bomb from the most advanced aircraft in the world. And we can't beat these people. And there are a bunch of peasants with rifles. Um, and uh, so, yeah, God, God bless America and the fact that we have that beautiful constitution. So that amendment is to protect not only the, the second amendment, but also the first and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth. The entire Bill of Rights are uh, are pretty beautiful, important things, and I like them equally. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, that's a good segue. One, one thing I wanted to ask you about is I heard you kind of just touch on it in another interview is nationalism versus patriotism because – I think those two are confused a lot from what I see, again, through some of the god-awful <laughs> news outlets that we have. Yeah. Uh, I, so a German in 1946 can be very proud to be German and, and proud of their heritage and understand the mistakes that they made and want to fly the German flag and will do all things – to aspire their country to the the attributes and characteristics that they believe are part of it, and that's that's what patriotism is to me. Um, nationalism is the Nazi Party in 1944, um, where you are you're on the train and you're going where that train goes. Like you you are a bandwagoner, and um, there's blindness that goes with it, and um, and and I say. I hold patriots in very high esteem. Um, there, there are people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum from me politically that I think are beautiful patriots. People that, you know, the ACLU, the NAACP, um, they, they may not realize how much I love them and how much I value the, the, their, the way and the passion that they fight for the Bill of Rights. Um, like I fight for it differently and maybe I, I, I value all of them more than you know, like there are specific ones that they value more than others. Um, and they probably think that there's specific ones that I value more than others. Um, but, uh, like th they're patriots from my perspective. And, um, I, I use patriot for anybody that believes in the ideas of what for America, what we were founded on. That's what a patriot is to me. So you look at the bill of rights, you look at the constitution and you're kind of a constitutionalist and, um, and you will sacrifice um, you know, Martin Luther King, one of the greatest patriots ever. Um, that guy on the paddleboard that just wouldn't come off. I like that guy. He's a patriot. <laughs> you know, um, there's a dude running on the beach that a bunch of cops were chasing down. I like that guy. Somebody that's going to go into, uh, Whole Foods or not Whole Foods to, um, like Home Depot and the governor of Michigan says you can't buy, buy seeds and, he grabs those seeds and he throws some money on the counter so he doesn't steal those seeds and goes and plants those seeds. Um, that's a pretty cool form of civil disobedience. Um, you know, going to church right now, that might be a form of civil disobedience that I'm a fan of. That I'm a fan of. 
Yeah, and that's that's something that I've talked about a lot with this is I think we need to go back to the pitchforks and the torches metaphorically and reclaim the we the people part that we seem to have lost. Like I, I, I see this even back home in England and here where there's this perception that you do what the president or the prime minister tells you to do. And to me, that's completely backwards. Th- those people don't fix your country. The citizens fix their country by walking outside their front door and asking themselves, how can I make my community better? Who can I help today? That's how you fix a country. And I feel like we've really got it completely backwards. Yeah, the, the everything about the strength of a country comes down to the individual. It has nothing to do with the government. You know, a, a good economy comes down to the individual being able to be to be successful. Um, not the massive corporation that's being backed by the government, that's being bailed out by the government. I promise the more the government has involvement in, the more that thing will fail. Um, and it's not just the economy. It's it's the exercising of each individual freedom by the individual. So politicians are supposed to be representatives of um, their districts and their jurisdictions and that they're not right. Um, they, their constituents, I hope right now are looking at their elected officials in fury and being like, all right, I got your number now. I see what you're going to do the moment that the, now that you had power and that we had fear, you overreached, you overstepped and you did more damage, um, than, than you're going to be able to account for, um, come this next election. I think a group that we haven't talked about is, uh, the, the media. I think the media has, has been, has had a lot to blame for this panic because they love panic. It's panic and fear are the greatest things ever for television ratings. And, um, and they, I, I think intentionally, in my opinion, they fueled the fires of panic and, um, and caused this economic crash and, um, this outrage culture where we have people calling other people for not wearing masks even though they're just walking down the street without another person with like a half a mile of them. Like whoever, whoever picked up the phone and called the police on a paddle border going down the Pacific ocean is a loser. And you would have called, um, Oh, who, who is that little girl? That's, that's hiding up in the attic behind that fake wall. Oh yeah. Anne Frank, you would have called in freaking Anne Frank. That's who you are. That's, oh man. <laughs> but it's so true though. And you said with the media, um, that's one thing that I've talked with a couple people. I had, uh, have you met Kirk Parsley before? He's a Navy SEAL term physician. No, I, I, I don't think I've met him. I know him. Okay. Yeah. We had a great conversation with him. He really put a lot of the numbers into perspective and, and even to the point where the CDC has like triage levels, MCI levels. And, you know, we're at a level one, not even. And then a lot of the things that are written are more like three and four when it comes to these isolations. So, that's going to be another after action report to look at. But the, uh, the fear that, you know, is being created by the media and by some of these terrible politicians that we got is actually making these people more vulnerable. Because like you said, now they are cowering. Now their nervous system is fried. Now they're not sleeping as well. And therefore they're probably going to be more susceptible to this damn virus. Yeah. Um, like I said, we just, we just need to not be done and move on, but we need to get life going again um, with new precautions in place, with new measures being taken, with new guidelines being followed. But um, it will get worse if this, if more of the same continues, both in the freedom and also in, um, in 
like the general well-being of the population. Yeah. So speaking of that, so as you know, a leader yourself, what would be your advice to the people of America, the people of England, to start reversing that, to start reclaiming the health of their nation? Um, civil disobedience is not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> uh, go, get, get, go to work. If, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, like I'm an entrepreneur, like I, I have, I have been working all day long. Sorry, I was late to our call, James. <laughs> uh, no problem. The, what am I going to do? The, uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. If you, if you clean pools, call your customers and say, Hey man, we're, uh, we're ready to come back and get your, your pool up and running. If you are a landscaper, you know, call your clients and be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm ready to start mowing some lawns. Um, you know, if you're a roofer and, uh, yeah, I know it's, it feels scary right now, but it's, there's no Corona on the roof. There's no Corona in the pool. There's no Corona on the lawn, right? Um, if you have a diabetic obese person at home, man, take some extra precautions, you know, but how are you going to pay for their insulin? Government's not going to give it to you. That's going to run out. You know, like the government will not fix your problems. You're going to have to. Yeah. And what about health wise? Because what I'm seeing, I'm seeing people turning to local farms, which I mean, to me, I think, you know, obviously if you're not able to grow it yourself and that's the next best thing is support local farmers, you know, pushing schools to actually start putting better food in the schools. So what are, what are some of the things you think after this, before the new shiny object comes along and we're talking about fucking Kardashians again, what can, what are lessons learned that you think will improve the actual physical health of our people? Well, the, uh, I mean, a sheepdog response, we've been posting a, a, a workout that you can do from home every single day. And um, I think we have 30 of them. Like you could do these same 30 workouts three or four times a week and then add a nice walk around your neighborhood and you are going to be a really healthy person, like a really healthy person. Um, and I hope that the, you know, it, it, it irritates me that, um, I, I can go to whole foods and I can get one bag of really healthy food and it costs $80 and I can go to Walmart and I can get 10 bags of really crappy food for $5. Um, I, I think that people have realized cause it's cool when people had a rush on the grocery stores, you could walk into the crap food aisles and all the crap food was still there. Um, the flour was gone. The good wheat was gone. The activated yeast was gone. All the crap sugar was still up on the shelves. Um, like people knew what was important and they went and bought it and everything else. Uh, all the candy is sitting there, all the potato chips still sitting there. Um, all the soda still sitting there, but there's no water to be found. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that this trend continues where people's eyes, uh, are now wide open and they, they realize they have to exercise. They have to have a good diet. They have to work. They have to get good sleep and they have to be good contributing members to society. Absolutely. I still haven't understood the toilet paper thing yet either. Uh, I, I, I uh, I can explain it. What happened? Please. It's actually a pretty cool origin. So Australia has, um, I don't remember what percentage, but, uh, a portion of their 
toilet paper supply came from China. And um, there was rumors that there would be no toilet paper in Australia uh, because of the interruption of supply of COVID of their toilet paper arriving in Australia from China. So there was a rush on toilet paper in Australia. And um, the United States and the rest of the world saw a bunch of white people running to the grocery store to buy out the toilet paper because there was not going to be any more toilet paper. Uh, Our supply of toilet paper here in the United States, I'm sure you've noticed now two weeks later after people have been hoarding toilet paper, uh, that there's still toilet paper on the shelves. Like you can go and buy Charmin and Angel Soft and you can buy Cottonelle. And um, like I can go in right now and I can buy like – here we are like three weeks into the shenanigans and there's still plenty of toilet paper because guess what? It's made here and we're not going to have a shortage of it because it's made here and Australia didn't have a shortage of it. Um, the only shortage right now is the fact that people are hoarding it and we're going to be overwhelmed with toilet paper for the next six months. Um, so the origin was really just misinformation and panic fueled by the, by the media of, of like, it was really fake news. I mean, that's what it was. I hate using that that term because it's so inaccurately and overused. But um, that's that's what happened. Yeah, and it's funny. We still don't have toilet paper here. Like you have to go right when they deliver it. So, which is bizarre because you know, <laughs> the, every almost every um, part of the country that I've contacted so far, we've I got friends and first responders. Like you said, the northeast is getting battered, and everyone else is doing fine. And a lot of these responders are saying the calls are, are getting lower. Sadly, I'm hearing a lot of law enforcement friends talk about more domestic abuse and child abuse, which is awful from the isolation. But the actual calls, a lot of them have gone down, not up. Yeah. Um, so the the overall calls have gone out, get, gone down because uh, there's just fewer people out. So there's less traffic collisions. There's less like altercations at you know, the, the burger joints. Um, but people are at home and like we we're talking about cope, coping mechanisms, there's, there's less of them. So stress is higher stress from not being able to pay the bills are higher. You got laid off or furloughed from your job. Um, the kids can't go to school. Uh, so they have a bunch of energy and everybody's arguing. Your wife is mad at you because, um, you know, like there's not her right. She can't get her hands on the right toilet paper. And now she's using like wipes that she's having to go and wash, you know, and like, so then more domestic violence. And, um, so that sucks. How you fix that is you get back to life. Absolutely. Now you have obviously taught a lot of first responders. You know, this one of my conversations is about creating an environment for them to thrive. And I think one thing that's really, uh, I don't think it's been out there in discussion. I'm trying to be part of that, but that we're seeing police officers, firefighters, medics, doctors, nurses dying. And what's not being discussed around that is that these men and women, a lot of them are working a huge amount of hours, you know, sleepless nights. And, you know, these resident doctors are doing 60 hour work weeks, a lot of firefighters around the country are doing 56 plus hour work weeks. Um, you know, what's your take on that? That the men and women that we're relying on during this crisis are some of the least resilient because of the way that they are worked each week. Yeah. Unless you know what it's like to be in a police car for 12 hours, um, five days a week. And that's what a lot of these people are doing. 
um, and having to go from the, I mean, the stress of one call, like if you take a normal person, you put them in a police car and you make them respond to a 911 domestic violence call and you get there, woman's beat up, kids are screaming, um, dude is still pissed. You know, he's, he's, he's at a level where like, you're not sure if you're going to have to fight him and, um, and you have to sort this mess out. And, um, but then she, the woman's like coming to his defense cause she doesn't want to have him taken out of the home. You're like one of those calls and you are emotionally wrecked for the week as an, as a normal human and a police officer, I don't know, deals with like six of them in, in a day. In addition to like the 10, uh, car crashes and the asshole that he pulled over that was driving 90 miles an hour on the freeway and be like, and then we, he won't, won't roll his window down. He has his phone sitting there and be like, yeah, well, I'm on the phone with my attorney and I know my rights. You know, I was like, this is a toll road. And so, uh, you know, like I pay the tolls. So you can't give me a ticket for speeding. You're like, boy, roll down your window. <laughs> Let me see your ID. Um, you know, and the paramedics that are like, that are double dipping, switching from doing their shifts on the fire truck and then hopping on an ambulance and working an ambulance on their 24 hours off. Um, and not because they want to, or they need the money. It's because people need them to. And, um, and they're more exposed than anyone because they're, they're the one, when you pick up the phone, you think, man, I think I have COVID. Uh, that's who's coming. Yeah. And that's just it. I think, you know, we need to, to, have that conversation again like i frame a lot of times none of us are going to complain about it we signed up to do the job and we'll do it regardless but now with all you know i've learned talking to 300 people yourself three times now which is amazing is the special operations special forces you know so many of these elite operators around the world you're not being worked into the ground because it doesn't make any sense the same way as you wouldn't ask your favorite sports team to to train seven days a week eight hours a day so understanding the rest and recovery, how that makes a police officer better, it makes a firefighter better and more resilient is the conversation I think we need to have. Not this cut, you know, fire stations make uh, the police cars one man now, you know, instead of two man, like they should be, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and then the understaffing that's causing this mandatory overtime because the, the acute and chronic health effects are catastrophic and obviously when we need them most in a time like this they are some of them the least resilient people yeah um like why why are the the strongest and and the best of us when when you 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 take your best horse and you race your horse every single day that horse very quickly becomes your worst horse and um like that's what's happening right now like we we have to protect this group of, of selfless servants. And, um, and that means that we as individuals have to get our act together. Um, we would need them less if we were healthier, we would need them less if we took our individual individual responsibility and, you know, did not pick up the potato chips and went and got an apple. And we did not think about hitting our wife. We put on our running shoes and went for a run. Um, those are, and that, that goes down back down to the individual. Absolutely. Well, speaking of fighting, I just want to do, uh, talk about one thing before we get to Sheepdog Response. I want to make sure we talk about that again. Um, but I saw the video, the fight game that they did about you recently. So what's the backstory of that interview? Um, I've just been fighting for a long time. And, um, and I, uh, I own a company called Ranger Up. 
and uh, we're a military t-shirt apparel company and we do this this grappling this grappling tournament that's called the Ranger Up Classic and um, the Grappling Classic and in it I had a super fight against a a friend and of mine named Dave Camarillo and he is one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners on the planet he's also an incredible judo practitioner um, world champion I mean just an all-around top of the world athlete and um, he and I got to fight in a super fight in the kind of the main event of the whole tournament and um, the the documentary fight game talks about my approach to fighting uh, which has been different and maybe unique completely unique than anyone ever in the history of fighting uh, where I'm you know a, a green beret uh, like being part of the special forces regiment and having to deploy coming back from deployments and going and fighting and then going to ranger school and coming back from ranger school and fighting and um, you know fighting in, in tournaments and in worlds and that uh, that that's that's pretty extraordinary um, so that was um, that was that documentary and it was cool that he did it. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And who won that fight in the end? I'm not sure if I know the result. It was a good fight. I, like I inched out Dave, but, uh, D- Dave, you know, he's, I think I had I, 50 pounds on that man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty incredible to be able to compete a guy against a guy that level. And, uh, I mean, outcomes almost, irrelevant because it was so cool it's really competitive fight too brilliant now in the um in the documentary you talk about going to, to greg jackson's gym you know to to uh train for some of the fights and i had greg on just a few weeks ago so i was kind of curious to tie those two episodes together because he talked about you in that um what was it that greg brought to the table that that you didn't have prior um I, greg has a um a piece with fighting like fighting for him isn't fighting fighting for him is a chess match and fighting for me is fighting like i'm a violent person um you know like if i'm at a place and a bad dude is coming in there i don't think about like queen of marks mary rules like all right we're gonna like fists up fisticuffs might like i look <laughs> for the cl- i look for the closest brick to hit him with like that's just how my brain works, and when I used to be a bouncer, like I would gate, I would, I would set people up in the room, um, in like, in my assessment of did I have to hit that person with a stool, a pool cue, my fist? Would it take me and three of my friends to get this guy out? Um, and like my my mind would always just be doing that. Greg is like, I'm gonna move my rook here, and I'm gonna take my queen and move it there, and this pawn, I'm just setting you up. Um, so he had a different approach, a beautiful approach to fighting that, that I, that I desperately needed. Right. And what, what do you think, where did that come from? That element that makes you such a good fighter in the cage and such a good fighter on the battleground? Uh, I don't know. Being second born and having a big <laughs> brother and having big friends and he had big friends and I liked fighting them. Um, you know, I don't know. I've always been this way. I like they, they, you used to have like you'd have a circumference where you wouldn't get within like five or six feet of me when I was crawling because I would attach myself to your foot and I would bite you. Um, like this is before I could walk. 
you know, like people would walk around me because I would attack their legs. Um, <laughs> so like, this is, this is, this is just, I'm just wired this way. Brilliant. Well, we, uh, I say we, I had the honor of, um, joining Jeffro. Jeffro invited me to, to Austin a little while ago and I got to roll with you guys. I wanted to say first, that was by far the best, um, jujitsu session I've ever had because correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming that was a, a, a group of, you know, black belts or extremely good jujitsu practitioners. And that was also the most gentle session I've ever had. And what I mean by that, there was no muscling. There was no, you know, like ego. Everyone was just flowing. And I was obviously a, a, a freaking duckling in this, this shark tank. But, um, it was just amazing to, to see so many high level people and, and learn rather than just play fight for my life, which I have in many other schools. Yeah, the um, the the better like the the most dangerous roles I have are with big, strong white belts. Um, and a white belt is somebody that has usually trained for <clears throat> less than two years, and um, and it's not like they they might be incredible athletes, but they're not aware of how to use their body yet. You know, when when I'm going against super high level black belts, say, you know, the Paulo Brandaus, the Dan Dows, and um, this, like the people that we have at Grace Humaita, it's, it is completely nirvanic and peaceful and cathartic. Uh, like I'm not worried about them blowing my arm out. Whereas a white belt, I'm like, man, I hope this guy doesn't headbutt me because he just doesn't know what he's doing with his head. Um, and I, I think the, the level of like aptitude about how people, when you rolled with us in that room, you know, they're like, yeah, I think we had like six or seven black belts in there. Guys that have competed at the highest level in world championship fights, um, world championship grappling matches, and you know, like two, three, four stripe black belts. It's, um, it's also the ego is gone. You know, we just, we're all in there just wanting to get better. And um, you, you can't get better when you're hurting the things that will help you improve. Yeah. And I likened it to um, some of the, the worst <laughs> sparring sessions I've had. I've, I trained at Shootbox. I had one in LA for a while and it was the closest thing to Fight Club I've ever had. It was just getting the shit kicked out of you every single time, but you didn't really focus on technique striking either because you were basically just trying to survive versus, you know, a light special session with someone who knows what they're doing. You're able to move, you're able to throw those techniques, you know, and you might get smacked in the face, but you're not going to get knocked out or anything or your eardrum blown out. Um, so yeah, it was, it was so refreshing to see. That. And it really, honestly, when I, when I left there, it made me realize what I actually want from the right school. Yeah. I, it, you, 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 I wish your experience could be experienced by everybody that's thinking about getting into a form of martial arts. Um, because you take that and when you walk into the, into your school, um, those are the attributes, you know, the characteristics that you, that you want from your instructors. Um, like an overall level of expertise that, um, is so high that like pride and ego is, is not in existence there. The only thing is that person being able to pass on information to everyone else in the room efficiently. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I experienced. Well, speaking of that, that's exactly what I found in Sheepdog Response too. Obviously, there's a grind element to it for a very specific reason. Um, when do you think the first actual live face-to-face -face, uh, event will be? 
I think end of May or early June. Um, you know, one, one of the limitations for us, like I think we'd be ready to start running courses in a couple of weeks, um, is getting people to travel to those courses. In in one of our courses, we have 40 students uh, at, at, a, at a given time. And about half of those people travel in to that course. So that means that hotels have to be open and um, the airlines have to be operating. You have to be able to get a rental car. You have to be able to get food. Um, and those things are still difficult in a lot of areas of the country. Um, so we're, uh, we, we are, we are definitely on board with the getting back to work mentality. Um, but, uh, we got to get the rest of the world on board for us to be able to execute. Absolutely. Now, when we've, we've spoken a couple of times, the last time we spoke was right after I did Sheepdog with you guys. And we were talking about, you know, that, the very disappointing showing from some of the, the law enforcement side groups here in Ocala. Have you seen a slow increase in more and more of these, these, uh, men and women in blue coming to Sheepdog and, and actually, you know, sticking with it? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, it enrages me. We have the highest percentage of dropouts that we have is during the law enforcement class. Um, so if we have 40 civilians that come to our course, um, we usually run a law enforcement class of 20 because we want to give them more one-on-one training, um, and a, a, a higher overall level of instruction. And, um, you know, in a civilian course, maybe we'll have one or two, two people not complete the course, um, you know, so about 5% because, you know, like for a myriad of reasons, Some, sometimes it's, it's personal reasons, like something comes up and they have to go home um, or their work calls them in or um, sometimes they uh, like they, they realize that they need to to get in a little bit better shape before they come, which is not the tr- truth. You can come at any level and um, we will set you on the course to be a healthier, better more functional person. But, um, yeah, law enforcement, you know, it breaks my heart when people don't come to train and it breaks my heart when people don't stay for training. Uh, so like I, I have seen an improvement, but, um, I, I hope that that trend continues. Right. Well, that's reminded me as well. I got a message from Josh who is, um, he was at your, um, Arizona, um, sheepdog, and I'm just going back to it now. God, I can't get to it. And he said, when you talk to Kennedy, let him know when I see him, I'm on the mats, I'm going to make soup of his face. So oh, I, love it. <laughs> I think he works for, uh, he started FireVet, which I, I'm assuming is veterans that are firefighters now. So uh, yeah, he's got a picture of you guys together, but I, I promise I would, uh, I would say that to you so that way you can make soup of his face next time you see him. <laughs> I love it. It's a date. <laughs> All right. Well, I like I like to finish with a few closing questions. If you just got a couple minutes, um, yeah. The first question is: Is there a book that you love to recommend? Uh, the Giver. Brilliant. Is it, do you remember the author of that one? Well, Lois Lowry. Lois Lowry. Brilliant. You can read it. You can read it in one afternoon. It's a kids' book. Excellent. Dystopian dystopian future. Um. The. I'm, I'm going to give you the, the the person this in this story, this fictional story. Uh, I want you to view them as all veterans um, because they're the ones that carry the pain. And th- my that won't make sense until you read the book. But read it and then um, view every person that you know that has ever been to war and view them in that light. 
Brilliant. I'm going to order that now then. Because if it's a kid's book, I'll get my little boy to read it with the same view as well. Um, he's, How old's your kid? Uh, Ty's 12, almost 13 now. Yeah. Perfect, perfect, perfect. It, it, it was required reading for for me in middle school. Brilliant. So, well, right there. Excellent. We'll give him something to read in this, <laughs> this homeschooling that we're doing at the moment. Um, all right, same question, but a movie. Is there a movie you love? Uh, Last of the Mohicans and Braveheart are are up there. Um, Black Hawk Down and Saving Private Ryan are up there. Uh, there's a movie called Big Country with Gregory Peck in the lead role. And um, Sean Heston and Gregory Peck are kind of uh, – they're both the heroes of the story. And um, those two men could not be more different than than – than each other in this in this movie but they are both if i could pick and choose characteristics like personality characteristics that that i would want to have um i see them in, in both of these men in, in this movie and uh, and i think it's a, it's a type of bravery and courage that i wish every single human on the planet had brilliant i haven't seen that i have to watch that you said uh, black hawk down i had um matt eversman on twice and then uh, Mike Durant, who was the the pilot that got shot down, on as well. So we've got to hear some really good firsthand accounts of that story. Yeah, read read all their books. Amazing. Um, and what about yeah. a documentary? Any documentaries you love? Uh, recently, I've been really into all of the uh, like music documentaries. Um, like I'm super pumped about the Beast Bo- Beastie Boys documentary coming out on Apple Plus here in a week. Um, but like I. I um, I love, I watch a ton of documentaries, uh, from star, like the making of star Wars to, um, what was like the, 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 the fast food, fat food one, uh, where the guy went and ate McDonald's for like 30 days. Yeah. And then the name is totally falling out of my head too. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Su- supersize me. Yeah. Supersize me. Like I, I love that movie, but the, uh, I, um, big little farm. That's one that I just watched. Uh, and I think it's super relevant right now. If I were going to recommend a documentary, it's because it's, it's about two people, just a husband and a wife buying a little plot of land and trying to turn it into a self-sustaining farm and, uh, the heartbreak and pain that goes into that. Uh, but it's, it's all the beautiful things about people and all the bad about people too. Right. And that's something we need to support more. I think is the local farms. Um, oh, hell yeah. So before I do the next one, I just remembered as well, um, 5.11 is now official sponsor of the podcast. Obviously, you are nice. well embedded with them. So what is it that drew you to 5.11? Because obviously, there are so many companies that you could have aligned with. Yeah, so 5.11, um, every single thing that they make, they look at that thing and they say, how does this thing make somebody better prepared? That's, that's the question that goes into every garment every bag, every shoe for what that person is going to do, the modality that this item is going to be used in, how does it make that person better at doing that thing? Um, and that's why I love them. Uh, like it's not because like their pants are stretchy and I need stretchy pants. <laughs> it's because the, the pants are stretchy because I grapple in them. I like you, you've seen me. I've literally James, have you not like watched me walk on to, the wrestling mat and the stuff that I was walking into the grocery store in. And, um, you know, I could take my, my magazine, my extra magazine out of the, the extra pocket they have 
which is for you to stick a magazine in. And um, so that's the reason why is because they put the extra em- the attention onto the details about why somebody would wear this and how will, will it make them more ready for something bad. Beautiful. I'm glad you said that because that's what I found even when I went. I, I did a tour a little while ago when I was over in California. And when I was there, some of the designers were asking my feedback on some of the things that they'd sent me, you know, and, and from a firefighter point of view, from the duty, you know, the station wear side, and then obviously the other side, um, the fact that they were listening and, and willing to, to adjust the next generation of what they were working on was was amazing. I mean, how often do you get to talk to the person who designs the product and then they actually listen to you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, it's, it's, it's a neat experience to like for a bag, um, shoe and even pants. Like I've had the opportunity to, to talk about things where they'll, they'll send me prototypes like this, this, this won't work. And this is why, um, this, we don't use this and this is why, and I'll send those notes back. And then the final product that's released to the public, you see those changes and, um, and you know, that, that, those notes that you sent also came from other like-minded people like you. Um, so that's, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool feeling to, to see that realized. Absolutely. And just seeing some of the names that are aligned with that, that brand. And this is not me plugging it by any means. This is a organic, you know, um, advocacy of it, but it's true. You know, all, all the people that they've got that are putting their name to their company are people that I admire in all the different branches and police and fire. So yeah, I mean, it speaks, it speaks volumes just for the people that they've got to, to vouch for them. Yep. We're, we're, we're definitely get, getting there. I, I hope society as a whole will, will kind of hop onto, um, the things that we promote, you know, like I'm not saying like the companies that we promote, but the ideas that we promote, you know, like the always be ready and the individual responsibility that the, these are things that, that, cross party lines that cross race lines that cross religious lines and that this is just for the well-being of people you need to you need to live this way absolutely all right so the one of the last closing questions is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world uh jocko have you talked to jocko i've had him once i'm looking forward to doing again but we had we had one already yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. Um, Glover from Field Crash Survival. Talk to Mike. Um, no, not yet. Brilliant, Mike Glover. Yeah, he's yeah, he is pretty rad. Have him tell you about when uh, he and I went to sniper school together. It's a pretty humility story for me. Pretty incre- incredible for him. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for that. So the very last one before we we uh, make sure we know where to find you and and uh, sheepdog response. What do you do to decompress when you're not doing the hundreds of things that you're known for? Uh, as we're as we're talking right now, I, I'm actually rearranging my training, like my my dry fire training room. Um, I'm sitting here holding a cert pistol, serial number six nine nine seven nine, and uh, doing doing some dry fire drills as we're talking. Um, man, my life is is our coping mechanisms. You know, like I, I'm, I'm about to post a workout that is pretty horrible. Um, that we did this morning before I did a 10 hour work day. So this is, um, this is, this is just life for me. All right. So then the last thing, then where can people find you online and then sheepdog response and raise your up? Uh, you get everything for me is Tim Kennedy, MMA, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my, my daughter's helping me with that. 
uh, sheepdog response, uh, two words, sheepdog response. And, um, we're, we're on, we have an amazing YouTube page with amazing Instagram, amazing Facebook, put a ton of free information out there. Um, uh, just filmed today, dry, uh, dry fire drills to do from home. And, uh, we'll be posting that this week. Um, like a brand new free workout posted every single day during all of this Corona, um, so- social distancing things. So everybody can stay, stay healthy and have those coping mechanisms of, of good endorphins and serotonins running through their, their body. <laughs> <laughs>